Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying, that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Well, welcome to our Christmas Eve service. We've come together to celebrate an event that took place 2014 years ago. It happened with little fanfare in a sleepy village named Bethlehem, the city of David. God entered our world in the back room of a barn in an animal feeding trough. And what's amazing about that, even though it happened a long, long time ago, it can still stop traffic today. It can close down offices and schools and banks and governments, shopping malls and stock markets. How does this happen? What makes Christmas so special? Well, this evening I want to invite you to go to where the angel of the Lord beckoned the shepherds to go. The angel said, go to Bethlehem and find a baby that is wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. The manger tells us why we celebrate Christmas. The manger proclaims 
the message of the gospel. This week I asked my good friend on staff here, Scott Ross, if Cornerstone had a manger. I thought we needed a manger if I'm going to be speaking about a manger. And he said, well, I said, well, every church has to have a manger somewhere in a closet someplace. And Scott said, well, I know we have a cross. I'm not sure we have a manger. Good answer, right? But isn't the manger part of the story? Didn't the manger come before the cross? And just maybe the manger actually points us to the cross. Well, tonight I want to take a few minutes to talk about this sign that the angels told the shepherds they would see when they came to the manger. Luke is the only one of the four evangelists that talk about the manger. And he mentions it three times in this narrative, this uh, story of Jesus' birth. And the most significant thing that Luke says about the manger is that the manger is a sign, a sign of the Messiah's birth. He says, and this will be a sign to you. No, I didn't say it right. He says, this will be the sign for you. Notice he didn't say a sign. He said, the sign. He said, look for the sure and the certain sign. Strong's Greek concordance says that this word sign means the finger mark of God. I love that. The finger mark of God. It's a sign that points to something that God is wanting to talk to us about. So the manger plays a very significant role in Luke's retelling of the story. Matter of fact, one scholar has pointed out, he said, curiously, Luke seems more interested in telling his audience where where Mary laid the newborn child. So, there, you know, there were undoubtedly many other babies that were born that night or at that time in Bethlehem. What would be the distinguishing mark that would identify this baby as the Messiah? Luke wants us to know that there's a clue in the manger. Verse 16 says that the shepherds found him lying in a manger. They followed that clue and they discovered the Messiah. Do you think that this manger was that the shepherds were bidden to come and find was just a random coincidence? Or was it part of God's divine plan, the fulfillment of a promise? When Jesus was born in a manger... Was it because God had fallen asleep at the wheel? Did someone in the office somewhere in heaven forget to make reservations for Jesus in the inn? I believe that the manger is an exact fulfillment of God's promise and that the Messiah entered into that manger by divine design. God never does anything by accident. Nothing ever catches Him by surprise. And so the manger is of divine design, it has a special purpose, it's a sign, the angel said, and it's how God staged his entrance into this world. He chose a manger. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? The self-designed first act of Emmanuel, God with us in this world, was to reveal himself 
as a Messiah laying in a manger. Why? Why would he choose a manger as the stage to kick off his campaign to bring renewal to our world and establish his kingdom upon earth? That's a question I want us to think about for a few moments this evening on this Christmas Eve. I want to suggest three ways, probably not the only things we can discover here, but at least three things the manger shows us in its portrayal to us of the message of the gospel. The first is that the manger is a sign that Jesus is indeed Emmanuel, God with us. Now, there was an old prophecy made by Isaiah that said, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. He said, The virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel. Hundreds of years later, the angel of the Lord announced to some shepherds that the sign was now being fulfilled. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Think about it. The shepherds found the Lord of the universe lying in a manger. That's amazing. I mean, why didn't God make better arrangements than that? Could he not have arranged Jesus to have been born in a palace with midwives and servants and linen sheets and clean water? The shepherds found the Messiah in a very lowly place a lowly condition, lying in a prickly, dirty, musty, moldy animal feed trough. This is the first scene we see of the Lord coming to reveal himself to man. This is exhibit A, God come in human flesh. What is the very first thing that we see about God? The first revelation of the nature of God in human flesh was an exhibition of his unprecedented, self-limiting humility. Remember how the angel of the Lord said that this baby was Christ the Lord? So here is Christ the Lord laying in a place where there's spiders and fleas and rodents crawling around. Here is Christ the Lord laying in a place where sheep have slobbered, donkeys have drooled, and oxen have expunged their excrement. Here is Christ the Lord coming from heaven to live in a dirty, musty, impure place. And furthermore, the very first experience that Jesus had in this world was being kicked out of a busy bed and breakfast guest house. So when he took his first breath and when he took his last 
breath. He experienced rejection. The Apostle Paul said that when Jesus came into our world that he emptied himself. He emptied himself of all entitlement, of all pride. He didn't come to be honored. He came to serve. The manger shows us the depth of God's humility. It's a revelation of God's self-humiliation. Jesus was born in a manger for one reason, because that's his nature. God is humble. He turns his cheek and he washes feet. He loves his enemies and he feeds the hungry. Jesus humbled himself to serve you and me. He came to forgive sinners, not condemn sinners. The manger is a place, a picture, where we see the humble servant nature of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. He by whom all things were made and with whom there is nothing made, there was no room for him in the inn. So he is placed in a manger. Jesus said, foxes have their dens and birds have their nests. But the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. This past September, I was feeding my honeybees some sugar water. It was getting cold and <clears throat> I wanted to make sure that they had enough food to make it through our long, dark winter. And somehow I didn't get zipped up very well. So some bees got inside of my hat and they started stinging me in the face and on the neck. I couldn't leave the hive open in that cold, so I kept working until I got everything back in place. And I remember thinking, I only wish I could have let my bees know that I meant them no harm. (laughs) I wish I could enter into their world And speak their language so they could know my intentions for them. That my intention was to give them a future and give them a hope. Friends, that's the message in this manger tonight. God came to us. The word, the word from God, the message from God became flesh for us. And he dwelt among us. Our sin has caused us to be separated from God. We lack the mental equipment to understand Him, and we lack the moral integrity to approach Him. But God lowered Himself to our level. He took our flesh. He became a man. And the Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you might through or by his poverty become rich. Jesus didn't come for himself. He came for us. And he came to save sinners like us. Did you catch the message that the angel brought to those shepherds? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people. For unto you is born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Salvation has come to us. It has come to all the nations. The angels beckoned the shepherds to come to the manger so they could see the Savior. I want to ask you a question tonight. Is God calling you 
to the manger on this Christmas Eve, to come to the manger so that you can see Jesus as the one who's come near to you. He's come to be your Savior. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But our greatest need is forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And so He sent us a Savior. So the major is a sign that points us to the cross. It's a sign that reveals the depth of God's humility and the sacrificial servant heart that He has for our world. And as the Christmas carol says, He was born to die that man might live. Jesus traveled through our world from the manger to the cross. The second picture that we see portrayed in the manger is that it is a sign that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Now there's one detail that Luke makes vividly clear here. He tells us who the sign of the manger was for. He reports to us that the angel of the Lord said that the manger was a sign for the shepherds. Now Matthew tells us that the star was a sign for the magi, for the wise men. And Luke says the manger is a sign to reveal the message of the gospel to the shepherds. And there's an added emphasis in the three little words that after the angel says the Savior shall be for all the people, he then zeroes in on the shepherds and says, for unto you I am giving this sign. I think that's important to consider. It's really intriguing to me. Think about who got this invitation. This angel was not just randomly roaming around the hillside trying to find somebody to announce the good tidings to. These shepherds were hand-picked by God to be bearers of the good news. So God has a message in the manger that shepherds can understand. It's a language they can comprehend immediately. If I was to use words like pixies and vibraxes and daredevils and egg-sucking leeches to talk to an Alaskan fisherman, would he get it? Yeah, we understand that language, right? If you were to talk about stars to wise men, would they get it? They understand it, and that's why the angel says to the shepherds, I'm going to give you a message in the manger because shepherds were very familiar with swaddling cloths and mangers. So let's look a little closer then at these shepherds to see who they were and where they lived. They tended sheep in the fields outside of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the hometown of David. King David's home, it was where he was born, in Bethlehem. So no doubt these shepherds were raising lambs in the same fields where King David had tended his father's sheep. These were the very fields where David had sat in worship, composing psalms to honor and worship his God. This was where he wrote the psalm that says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
In fact, the shepherds may have been on the same land that David's grandfather, Boaz, had redeemed as a kinsman redeemer and passed on the messianic promise to his son, Jesse, David's father. Did you know that there was an old prophet named Micah who wrote more than 700 years before the birth of Christ? And he predicted that the Messiah would be born right there in Bethlehem. Listen to what he said in Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. King David was born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah, and so will the Messiah be born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah. But there's another thing that Micah predicted. It's a much lesser known prophecy that he wrote. It's found in Micah chapter 4, verse 8. Listen to what he said. He said, And thou, O tower of the flock, so he's talking about shepherds, And he's talking about a tower that protects and watches over shepherds. O thou tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come even the first dominion, the first reign, the first coming. The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. The king will come and inaugurate his kingdom, and it will come at a particular place that's called the tower of the flock. Curious, isn't it? Interesting, it draws me in to study it more. Micah is saying here that the shepherd king will come to a tower that watches over a certain flock of sheep, a place that is called the watchtower of the flock. Now, if you were to read this in the Hebrew... The Hebrew is pronounced Migdal Eder. It's a town, it's a place, a specific place, Migdal Eder. And it's in the north section of Bethlehem. It's a very significant place in prophecy. Migdal Eder, which means the flock tower, was a watchtower built for the protection of flocks, of a certain flock of sheep. That's the image that, We are to understand, for example, in Proverbs 18.10 when it describes how we become righteous before God. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. Now, Migdal Eder, and I'm going to go very quickly through some stuff that can get really deep and it could be a long lesson here, but I've got to move quickly. Migdal Eder was also a place where Jacob buried his wife, Rachel. It's found in Genesis chapter 35. Let me read a couple verses. It says, Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So get the connection? She's buried in Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. And it's still there today. If you were to go to the Holy Land, it's one of the places you could go. You could go to Rachel's tomb in 
Bethlehem. And it says in verse 21 that Israel, that's meaning Jacob, Israel journeyed on after Rachel died. He, he, he picked up camp and he moved on and he pitched his tent at a certain place beyond the tower of Eder, Migdal Eder. So he, Rachel died when giving birth to her second-born son whose name was Benjamin. Jacob named Benjamin the son of my right hand. Jesus became the son who was seated at his father's right hand. Rachel's name means innocent lamb. Innocent lamb. And there is an old rabbinic tradition that says that when the Messiah returns, he will appear at Rachel's grave, her tomb, the innocent lamb's tomb, which is at Migdal Eder, the place where shepherds keep watch over their flocks. Gets interesting, isn't it? So there was a special flock of sheep at Migdal Eder. The ancient Jewish rabbis tell us that in the Mishnah, which is the oral tradition of the rabbis, that these flocks, which were pastured at Migdal Eder, were particular sheep that were destined for temple sacrifice. So these were not sheep raised for food. These were sheep raised to sacrifice in the temple, which pointed to the Lamb of God who would come to take away the sin of the world. And in the Targum, which is the Aramaic paraphrase of the Old Testament Hebrew, there is a a paraphrase of this passage about Jacob moving on and pitching his tent at Migdal Eder. And they say, the rabbis say, that when he spread his tent beyond Migdal Eder, this is the place where King Messiah will reveal himself at the end of days. So what do we know? Let me just quickly summarize what we've seen so far about Migdal Eder. We know that Migdal Eder is the watchtower located in the northern section of Bethlehem built to protect flocks that were kept for temple sacrifice. During the lambing season, the sheep were brought there from the fields and the lower level of the tower functioned as the birthing room for sacrificial lambs. We know that Rachel's name means innocent lamb, that when giving birth to her son Benjamin, she died. Benjamin's name means the son of my right hand. And Jacob buried her at Migdal Eder. And ancient rabbis interpret the Hebrew scripture as predicting that this will be the place where the Messiah will come. And we know that Micah, who gave the prophecy about Bethlehem being Jesus' birthplace also gave a prophecy saying the shepherd king will come to the flock tower. That means these shepherds, whoever they were, that protected the sheep at Migdal Eder served in a priestly ministry that pointed to the coming of the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. These shepherds were men who were specifically trained in a very royal task. They were educated in what kind of animal had to be sacrificed, and they understood that their job was to make sure that every one of these animals were never hurt, never damaged, and were unblemished. 
the sacrificial lamb had to be spotless and without blemish, and that was their job. They were watchers of the flock. And we know that these sacrificial lambs were a type of the Messiah who would come. And that's what Peter meant when he said, you were not ransomed by the things of this world, such as silver and gold, but you were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ like a lamb without blemish and without spot. And he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last days to you. So do you think now that there's any significance at all in why Luke was especially pointing out and wanting to tell the shepherds that they have a sign especially for them and the sign will be a a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Could it be that these shepherds were keepers of the sacrificial lambs in the northern part of Bethlehem at Migdal Eder, the tower of the flock? Do you know that even swaddling cloths was a dead giveaway to these shepherds? Swaddling cloths were pieces of woven material that the temple shepherds would use to wipe off a newborn lamb in order to inspect it to see if it had any blemishes. And when newborn lambs were born, they would wrap them in swaddling cloths and place them in a manger to calm them down and to keep them safe so that no harm would come to them. And so these shepherds near Bethlehem were possibly a select group of shepherds. They were tending the lambs that were destined for temple sacrifice. And that's why swaddling cloths and a manger would be an unmistakable sign to them, a sign that pointed to Jesus as the Lamb of God. Have you ever wondered how the shepherds found Jesus? They didn't even ask the angel for the GPS coordinates. They didn't go to the hospital and get a list of the newborns and go around town trying to find them. It seems like the story indicates that they went right there. They knew. They knew the place. Why do you think that the angel only appeared also to the shepherds? Why not the high priest in Jerusalem? Why not the Sanhedrin, Israel's ruling parliament? Why shepherds? Perhaps God wanted these priestly shepherds to know that the days of raising sacrificial sheep was numbered. The shadow was passing away and the reality had arrived and was laying there in that manger. What better group of people would understand that than shepherds? No wonder the Bible says that the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as had been told to them. They didn't have to do that work anymore. So the manger is a sign that points to Jesus Christ as the sacrificial lamb. Does it remind you of a time when Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, pointed to his cousin and he didn't say, there goes, there's my cousin. No, he said, behold, look, there's the Lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. The Apostle Paul said, for God made Christ who never sinned 
to be an offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And the third thing that the manger tells us tonight is that it is a sign that Jesus is the bread of life. Now, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Do you know what the word Bethlehem means? Bethlehem means the house of bread. The house of bread. And Ephrathah means to be fruitful. This manger was a feeding trough. It was in Bethlehem in the house of bread. And it was a sign from heaven. So it was a sign of divine provision coming down from heaven in a place of reproach. And we read in John chapter 6 how the disciples one day came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, show us a sign, a sign, an unmistakable sign so that we'll know with beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're the Messiah. You know what Jesus' answer to them was? He took them back to the Old Testament and talked about the manna that came down from heaven. He said, I'm the manna. He said, I'm the bread of life that has come down from heaven to give life to the world. That's the sign. Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. I love this verse. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not be hungry. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I think it's one of the most incredible promises in the Bible. It's possible for us to never be hungry. And to never be thirsty. To be completely satisfied through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only source that can satisfy your soul. His birth in Bethlehem, the house of bread, is a hint that he's the food that gives life to the world. And a manger was a feeding trough, a crib for animals to go and eat. It is a place where the grain harvest was laid. I first saw this connection that the manger is a sign that Jesus is the bread of life when I was reading, interestingly, a Jewish commentary on Luke chapter 2, verse 7, where it says that Mary laid Jesus in the manger. And the writer connected the birth of Jesus in a manger with the Last Supper. That's interesting, isn't it? And here's what they said. The manger was a feeding trough which served as a symbol that anticipates the Last Supper. So when Mary laid Jesus in the manger, she was laying the bread of life in a crib. And then at the Last Supper, Jesus took the loaf and he gave thanks And he said, eat this in remembrance of me. So in the manger, a feeding trough, we see bread in a crib. We see hidden manna in a manger. You remember what God told the Israelites to make sure that they put in the Ark of the Covenant right there alongside the Ten Commandments? They said, put a a gold pot and fill it with manna and keep it in the Ark. And they said, and this needs to be kept there for your generations so that they would know it was a sign. So there must have been some prophetic significance about manna. Manna pointed us to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the manna that was hid 
in the manger. And in the book of Revelation, there's a name given for Jesus. He's called the hidden manna. And it says, to the one who conquers, I will give the hidden manna to eat. Let me close with this question. Has life left you feeling empty? Are you hungry for something more? Jesus invites you to the manger to feed on the hidden manna that has come down from heaven. And the scripture says over and over again, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's so good. If you're lonely tonight, you need to know that the manger is a sign that tells us that God has come close to us and he's with you. If you feel overwhelmed by a sense of guilt and separation from God tonight, you need to know that Jesus is the Lamb of God who came to take away your sin. And if you're feeling like there's something more and your heart is hungering for some significance in life that you haven't found, please understand that He's the bread of life that can satisfy you fully and completely. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this message in the manger. I pray that your Holy Spirit now would quicken these words to our hearts to bring faith alive within us. If there's someone here tonight, Lord, who you brought to this place specifically to hear this message, I pray that you will call them to yourself today, even as you beckon the shepherds to come to the manger. Call them to the manger so they can see, Lord. They can see that God has come close to them. They can see, Lord, that you are the Lamb of God to bear away the sin of the world and that they can see that you are the bread of life that can completely satisfy the soul. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for igniting faith in our hearts just now. Amen.